This episode is all about pleural fusion. Our lungs are covered by two layers of pleura. The inner visceral pleura and the outer parietal pleura. Sandwiched between these two layers is the pleural space which normally contains 10 milliliters of fluid that provides a bit of lubrication so that the lungs can smoothly expand within the chest cavity without encountering much friction. Too much fluid in this space results in a pleural infusion which can actually hinder lung expansion. Now, pleural effusions can be broadly classified into transudative and exudative effusions. Transudative effusions are often caused by systemic diseases and result from either an increase in intravascular hydrostatic pressure such as in congestive heart failure or a decrease in intravascular oncotic pressure due to decrease in serum albumin like in liver cirrhosis, nephrotic syndrome and malnutrition. Exudative effusions on the other hand are usually due to local diseases that may cause inflammation resulting in increased capillary permeability. These include infections like pneumonia, tuberculosis or primary lung or metastatic malignancy, autoimmune diseases like SLE, systemic lupus erythematosus or rheumatoid arthritis or pancreatitis. One more specific type of effusion is chylothorax. It results from impaired lymphatic drainage of the pleura, which can happen after accidental damage during surgery, trauma or cancer in BCD. Interestingly, pulmonary embolism can cause both transudative and exudative effusions. The transudative components is thought to occur due to obstruction of the pulmonary circulation, causing an increased hydrostatic pressure in that area. The exudative component occurs due to release of vasoactive mediators from the platelet-rich clots, which increase capillary permeability. Now, regardless of the cause, the symptoms of the pleural effusion include progressively worsening shortness of breath due to limited expansion of the lungs and pleuritic chest pain, which is a sharp pain that worsens with inspiration due to irritation of the somatically innervated parietal pleura. However, much like Sherlock Holmes, you should look for associated symptoms that may clue you to identify the potential etiology. For example, fever, chills and productive cough may indicate pneumonia, unintentional weight loss and loss of appetite may indicate a malignancy, night sweats, travel to an endemic area and hemoptysis can indicate tuberculosis. 
orthopnea and paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea can indicate congestive heart failure history of occupational exposure to asbestosis may point towards mesothelioma joint pain or a rash can indicate autoimmune disease and so on normally on clinical examination there are diminished breath sounds auscultation and dullness when percussing the affected area additional physical examinations shows signs that may help narrow the differential diagnosis include peripheral edema crackles and an s3 heart sound that may indicate heart failure stigmata of chronic liver diseases like jaundice and dilated umbilical veins may indicate cirrhosis a joint diffusion along with a pleural effusion may indicate an autoimmune disease if you are diffusing into think of autoimmune all right now to actually see an effusion a chest x-ray is done uniquely it's obtained both while the individual is upright and lying down on their side called the lateral decubitus position the goal of a chest x-ray is threefold diagnose the presence of a pleural effusion then determine it's freely flowing in the if it's freely flowing in the pleural space which may clue towards a transuretic effusion or if it's stuck or loculated which may indicate an exuretic effusion and finally determine if we can obtain a sample of the pleural fluid now when the individual is upright it takes at least 250 ml of fluid to see a pleural effusion normally the cost of running angle which is angle between the pleura covering and the ribs and pleura covering the diaphragm it's sharp and well demarcated but in pleural effusion this angle is obliterated by the radio opaque or white fluid larger effusions can also obscure the diaphragmatic contour and hard borders form an air fluid level similar to a half filled cup of water or they can form a concave upper surface that looks like a moon crescent that is called a meniscus sign meniscus is in greek is for crescent also massive effusions can push the entire mediastinum to opposite side which can cause the trachea to shift from the midline since transuretive effusions are often caused by a systemic disease they are actually bilateral effusions of similar size in contrast exuretive effusions are usually caused by localized diseases and therefore are usually unilateral of different sizes but there are plenty of exceptions to this rule for example early on in congestive heart failure there may be an effusion on one side and conversely a large pneumonia might lead to bilateral effusions 
On the other hand, lateral decubitus films can detect effusions that are as little as 50 milliliters and also help tell us if the effusion is free flowing which is where the fluid layers on top of the chest wall are located in which the fluid does not layer an alternative to chest x-ray is a bedside ultrasound and it can help determine the amount and nature of the effusion a homogeneous black effusion means that it's free flowing and probably transudative whereas a heterogeneous effusion with white septitions indicate that it's loculated and probably exudative now on lateral decubitus chest x-ray we look at the distance between the chest wall and the top of the fluid level kind of like measuring the depth of an ocean the chest wall being the seabed and the fluid being the surface of the sea if this distance is at least 1 cm then that's enough fluid to proceed to the next step a diagnostic thoracosynthesis which is inserting a thin needle through the chest wall to obtain a sample of the effusion This is different from a therapeutic thoracosynthesis which is aspirating at least 1 liter of pleural fluid providing symptomatic relief for massive effusions causing shortness of breath. The bedside ultrasound can be used to visually guide the needle through the chest wall which prevents damage to nearby structures like the liver. Also it's crucial to insert the needle above the rib to avoid damaging the intercostal vein artery and nerve the VAN that runs at the inferior edge of the rib now when performing a thoracosynthesis there's a small risk of introducing air into the pleural space or a pneumothorax and for small effusions where the distance is less than 1 cm the risk of a pneumothorax is even greater additionally the individual is likely asymptomatic and therefore they can simply be observed so that's why thoracosynthesis is not typically done for very small effusions another exception to performing a diagnostic thoracosynthesis is if an individual with congestive heart failure has recurrent chronic effusions then you don't need a sample since the diagnosis is pretty straightforward in that situation diuretics are typically used as a first line approach a therapeutic thoracosynthesis may also be performed if the effusion is massive now if the effusion does not improve then there must be another problem thoracosynthesis must be needed now pleural fluid can appear serous that is clear or it can be bloody or purulent serous fluid is often seen in transudative patients whereas body fluid can indicate malignancy blood fluid can indicate malignancy 
a pulmonary embolism trauma or purulent fluid indicates an infection milky white fluid indicates a chylothorax and it appears milky because lymph contains large amounts of triglycerides and chylomicrons now to determine definitely if the fluid is transudative or exudative the lights criteria can be used pleural fluid is considered exudative if any of the following are met pleural fluid total protein to serum total protein ratio more than 0.5 a pleural ldh to serum ldh more than 0.6 or a pleural ldh more than 2/3 of the upper limit of normal serum ldh it's important not to miss an exudative infusion so the criteria are designed to be very sensitive now if none of the lights criteria apply it's a transudative effusion in that case it's okay to treat the underlying cause and no further tests are needed however if the pleural fluid is exudative then more testing is needed if a malignancy is suspected then pleural fluid cytology should be done to look for malignant cells in a bacterial pneumonia the pleural fluid white blood cell count can show a predominance of neutrophils now effusions secondary to pneumonia can be simple also called para pneumonia effusions or complicated also called empyema a para pneumonic effusions literally translates to an effusion around an infection so it's an inflammatory reaction to the cells lining the pleura in response to the nearby infection consequently paranemonic effusions are often sterile meaning a gram stain and culture would be negative paranemonic effusions improve as the pneumonia resolves on the other hand empyemas occur when bacteria have actually invaded into the pleural space Empyemas are often loculated and full of bacteria, pus, and adhesions. A gram, a positive gram stain and culture, a pleural fluid pH of less than 7.2, or a pleural glucose level below 60 milligrams per deciliter, can indicate an empyema, but they are not specific. Empyemas typically require surgical drainage with a thoracostomy or a chest tube in addition to antibiotics. If a cell count shows that the lymphocytes are predominant, then tuberculosis should be considered. Supporting features of tuberculosis include a high level of adenosine deaminase and a positive PCR test for mycobacterium tuberculosis Typically the acid fast stain and culture of the pleural fluid are rarely positive so the most sensitive and specific test for pleural tuberculosis is a pleural biopsy which is actually taking a chunk of the cells lining the pleura and sending it off to the pathology lab 
look at the cells under the microscope. Okay, now a pleural fluid amylase to serum amylase ratio more than one may indicate pancreatitis. However, because amylase can also come from the salivary glands, a rupture of esophagus can also result in an elevated pleural to serum amylase ratio. Finally, a pleural triglyceride level more than 110 mg per deciliter indicates a chylothorax. If an individual has recurrent pleural effusions due to a malignancy like lung cancer or metastatic cancer, then a palliative processor called a pleurodesis can be performed. Pleurodesis means obliterating the pleural space so that fluid can no longer accumulate. This procedure can be performed by introducing chemicals like dark sulfonitrine or the antibiotic doxycycline, all of which induce an inflammatory response that eventually result in fibrosis, effectively sticking the visceral and parietal pleura together. Another option in mechanical pleurotesis in which a surgeon enters the lung using video-assisted thoracoscopic surgery are VATS. Once in the pleural space, the surgeon repeatedly rubs an abrasive tool against the pleura, inducing fibrosis. Let's summarize the whole topic. For a quick recap, pleural effusions can be transudative, which are often caused by systemic diseases. Exudative, which are often caused by local inflammatory diseases. The first step in evaluating a pleural effusion is imaging with an upright and lateral decubitus chest x-ray or a pet side ultrasound to determine if the effusion is free-flowing or percolated. After that, the effusion is sampled by doing a thoracosynthesis and the lights criteria are applied to determine if it's transudative or exudative. If transudative, then underlying cause is treated. If exudative, additional tests are done on the pleural fluid depending on the suspect.